spoken from the man that would do coke until 6 a.m. on a Friday and then get up on Saturday and score a hat trick. Welcome back to the Dead FC Pod, boys, episode number two. Man, so much has happened over the past couple of months, and I think this is why episode two is going to be so good. A big episode on corruption. Jensen, we just got to get corrupt. I know you got a story you were been itching to tell, so let's get into this. Yeah, so mine is quite a bit older, but I think it really speaks to the longstanding tradition of corruption, bribery, and opulence and wealth and greed that has been baked into this game. In 2015, several top FIFA officials from Bowl and CONCACAF, those being the South American and North American federations, respectively, were arrested on charges of bribery and money laundering and corruption and racketeering. And they found out that a South American company, Traffic Sports, which is such a perfect name for a company (laughs) that's going to be involved in bribery and money laundering to be called Traffic Sports. They had long held the rights to a lot of the Bowl competitions like the Copa America. And over several years of, over several years, they had paid over a hundred million dollars in bribes to several top Commonwealth officials, 11 officials to be exact. And then later their American branch also bribed some CONCACAF officials in Miami. It's a funny note that they bribed officials in Miami because I don't know if y'all saw that FIFA's moving their entire legal department and audit compliance and risk management teams from Zurich to Coral Gables near Miami. That's just going to be really Full easy. Circle. Full yeah. circle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, several of those officials, uh, CONCACAF officials in Miami ended up getting arrested as well. So a lot of them serve in prison and a judge just recently actually paid back injured parties, $92 million back on CAF and Bowl, and put that money into a fund that is externally audited. And they're using that for humanitarian efforts as well as trying to grow and, and support the women's game. Also, a New York judge actually threw out one of the con- convictions for a former Fox executive because the, the, so the judge said for the federal law governing honest services, wire fraud and wire fraud did not cover foreign commercial bribery. So what that sounds like to me is that all the people that got were con- that were convicted and sent to jail were there, they laundered money through the U S. So if you're going to try to avoid the strong arm of the U S government, just do all your bribery and subterfuge outside of U.S. borders. If your money laundering touches U.S. soil, you're fucked. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Which is really interesting, honestly, because here comes the 2026 World Cup, which all eyes on FIFA. We're going to see some things come out of this. One thing I think has been really fun to follow is this storyline that FIFA's having trouble negotiating with some of the owners over deals. Very American of us to do that. And it just paints this really interesting parallel or dichotomy when compared to the last World Cup where Qatar was just like, eh, we'll handle all the 
all this. Don't worry, FIFA, just come in. The motives are completely different. Americans are like, show me the money. Qatar was like, let me earn favor in the, the, the public eye real quick. Bigger sports washing conversation to happen there. But I feel like they squandered that. They had the opportunity to dupe the citizens of the world. And then you piss off every Western, actually any country that's not, that doesn't have like strict like moral laws, whenever you ban alcohol in and around the stadiums, like what kind of football fan doesn't want to get shit hammered before, during, and after a game? On a big part of why they did it, obviously, as we know from the past, countries that host the World Cup spend billions of dollars getting infrastructure ready and getting everything ready to do that. I think that's actually one of the U.S.'s strong points is like they probably don't have to spend as much because SoFi Stadium in L.A. is ready. I mean, it's already been built for $5 billion and they don't have to do as much. The economy is a little bit different. The perception is a little bit different. But to, to your point, like Qatar, they weren't getting, they got, I think there's a, in the Michigan Journal of Economics, they were talking about like the money that was going into it and all the revenue that comes in. And I think FIFA was due to make about $7.5 billion from that last World Cup and Qatar would receive about a billion and a half, which is a lot of money, but it's really not that much money. And the question is like, why do they do that? And it's, oh, to so they can have the eyes of the world on them and they can paint the picture of who they are and, and try to get more tourism and more economic support and their economy is already booming as it is. But to your point, did they actually do that? I don't know if they did. And a lot of the moves that they've been making, they even opened themselves up to more controversy, more criticism. I think even the Women's World Cup was down in Australia and in New Zealand. And I think Qatar was like a sponsor of it too, to try to get more, like they were trying to get more and more there. And people were criticizing that, especially for some of the like women's rights things there and all that. So they probably lost money. Their, their economy is booming, so maybe they didn't need it, but I don't know if they're getting out of it what they needed to get out of it. Like the lasting image is Lionel Messi wearing like a black shawl, like holding the World Cup trophy, which was critic, like, which was then also criticized. So yeah. like, what did they get out of it? I don't, I don't know. What's the keeper from Argentina? Like holding the, the golden glove as a dick and like, <laughs> that was that's the last thing for me that and uh all the dead migrant workers that they illegally shipped over to build those stadiums this is probably one of those they always show the abandoned stadium pictures and oh this stadium was once used for the olympics and this city is now a ghost town because they lost all the money and all of their people because of this is happening and i don't know if that's going to happen there but that's something that that's probably the lasting effect and that's the effect of fifa and just the power that they wield on well, there Look at this. We would probably not be having a conversation about Qatar had they not won the rights to the World Cup. Qatar really never came up in my own cultural zeitgeist. Like, it just is not a part of my day-to-day conversations. But now I do, I talk about it because it happened and it was on a global stage. And to that point, like, if it wasn't money, if money wasn't their point, maybe it was just to become more relevant. And here we are. Yeah. Host country automatically makes the World Cup, right? So there they are playing in the World Cup. That's big eyeballs. That's big money. That's boosting up their maybe local, their local leagues and, and different things like that. But yeah, it's, we're talking about it a lot. I've known about the country, but now it, it comes up all the time now. Yeah. It really reminds me actually of the Chinese Super League. Do y'all remember whenever they invested like millions upon millions of dollars in, into bringing in like top talent yep. because they wanted to have top competition for their domestic players to, so that they could build a competitive team and win a World Cup? Because that was a Chinese Communist Party's one of their goals in the five-year plan was to win a World Cup and gain like the prestige and stuff from that. And they realized it was an abject failure because the players that did 
actually come over. We're only coming over for the money and weren't really trying very hard. And it was a very short-lived experiment of the millions of hundreds of millions of dollars that were dumped into the Chinese Super League. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just stopped and the well dried up and that league has collapsed almost. It's interesting to think about that and then compare that to Saudi Arabia, where as long as there is a need for petroleum, they won't really ever run out of money so they can continue to dump hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and pay Ronaldo a billion dollars over five years or three, however long he's, his contract is, because they have the largest oil reserves and they are part of a cartel of nations that will fix prices if they have to make sure that oil prices stay artificially. There was a, a Football Daily podcast that the BBC does, and they were they did a two-part episode on Saudi Arabia and the influx of players going there and what's happening there. And they came with some really good perspectives. A lot of people are just criticizing it. And we sit here and we hear what the media here says and what other people are saying, and we're going to criticize it. But also there's another side of it. I think there's more women playing soccer in Saudi Arabia now than there's ever been before. The Like the women's league in Saudi Arabia is growing and there is some investment there. So not to say that makes everything okay, but there is like some other side to it that that is coming. And the women's game around the world is just becoming bigger and bigger. And I can get really cynical here and probably people are investing in it more and paying more attention because they're realizing that there's probably money to be made in it. And we can get to that later, but there are other sides of it and we don't know the whole story, but I thought that was just an interesting point. And to that point too, in that same Football Daily podcast, they were talking about how the need for petroleum and how there's a lot of advances around the world and trying to limit that and, and all that. And one of the things that Saudi Arabia is doing here with investing in sports is like setting up this foundation and infrastructure to make money in other ways. And you think about, oh, how are they going to replace that revenue with playing sports? But we've seen the amount of money that goes into this. They can very well make up a lot of that by being like this global superpower in sport. They're trying to get their league included in the Champions League. They're trying to get, they're trying to just become legit and try, they're, they're billions and billions of dollars can come to this. It's not going to like, like if nobody in the world used oil anymore, that's not going to happen, but like yeah. they can't fully replace it, but they're setting up other revenue streams. And I don't, I think that's smart of them to try to do that. Yeah. The interesting thing too, about this project is it's not just their, their domestic league. It's the investments they're making in other leagues too. So all the ownership groups that are filling out Newcastle and like City Football Group, who is now by and far a winning project, it's succeeding. And they're not going to probably suffer the same casualties that the Chinese Super League had because simply because they've diversified their investment. It's not just come to China and play. It's, oh, wow, we're going to bring our influence into what you live and breathe every single day. That's the difference, though, is China has a pretty diverse economy. Ever since they have liberalized their economy, they have flourished and blown up. They are aware that they are the destination for all manufacturing. They uh, have several other industries, whether it be a natural resource mining or refinement and as well as manufacturing. And they had a very strong, robust, diverse economy, but they realized that football wasn't achieving the goals that they wanted. The thing about Qatar is they just have Qatar, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, those uh, oil-rich countries, countries, they just have made so much money that paying Ronaldo a billion dollars is a drop in the bucket for how much they actually have in wealth. And they can invest. And I think that 
it's less about a, a revenue making operation when it comes to investing in football. Like, of course you can, you can make money and you could balance your budget, but like you look at a city football groups finances with Manchester city and it's, it, you can tell that the F the, the English FA and UEFA and FIFA are in their fucking pocket because they should have had at least a points deduction with all the infractions that they, they've had and nothing happened. So it's not about making money. It's about making influence. Yep. And there are all the other investments that are ancillary that aren't football related. Those are the things that are going to be sustainable long-term, whether it be solar energy production or some other industry. Banking. Gaming. Yeah. Those are the things that will help them diversify their economy beyond oil. But this is just a cherry on top to encourage business investment in that country because they're like, oh yeah, my favorite football footballer plays uh, in Saudi Arabia. Like, Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I'll visit. Maybe I'll move my company's operations there or a piece of it. Yeah. Here's a question. Does the football regulatory bodies actually punish any clubs for this kind of hyperinvestment, financial fair play, like you mentioned? I mean, we see it pop up in the news all the time. You know, Man City hit with, what, 150 financial fair play. Just They're just hit with n- numerous charges. But nothing ever happens. So it's a good game. It's a good game for anybody who's got deep pockets because it's really not going to turn into any, anything honestly detrimental to you. All you get is more influence and slap on the wrist. If you think about it too, what kind of punishment can be dealt out and who's the authority figure in all of this? And I know FIFA is probably, they're the governing body over so many different things. But if you want to talk about corrupt, we could talk for hours about FIFA. So who's the authority in all this and what's going to come down on it at the end of the day? And what are the rules? Chelsea has a lot of foreign investment from that part of the world too. And they spent billion dollars on transfers over the last couple of years. And they had so many players on their roster. I think it comes down to actually handing out the punishments that are laid out. You should get a points deduction. You should get kicked out of the league. Everton and Man City have both definitely done enough to at minimum have a six point point deduction. And if Everton had gotten uh, the points deduction that they deserved last season, Leeds would still be in the Premier League. Sound a little salty, Jensen. Oh yeah. Them and and Fat Frank, he can take a long walk off a short bridge. (laughs) I do want to say one thing that whenever you're talking about the Saudi League trying to get into the Champions League, like that makes no fucking sense because they're not even in the same confederation. Like they are under like the Asia Pacific. It's Europe. I, it, the Champions League of the Europeans. Yeah, that's U, that's UEFA. Yeah. yeah. But Saudi Arabia is I not know. in. <laughs> yeah. But didn't, what, didn't Qatar play in the, for the, oh, that was the qualifying. They played in South America. They played part as part of a cone ball, didn't no, they? No, they, pl- no, they played in CONCACAF. They played oh, okay. in the, they played in the gold cup. And that's a different thing though. That's you're leading up to a world cup. You're a small nation. You're trying to, that's. Common center practice for it's not like they're joining CONCACAF and, and they're gonna play in right. CONCACAF competitions going forward. It's just like, hey, we're leading up to the World Cup. We are in a shitty a confederation where we don't have very good competition and we're gonna have to face against the likes of France and Argentina and Germany and the Netherlands. And so they come over here to get some stiffer competition. But to join a league in or to join a competition in a different confederation and have that be an ongoing thing is a, just an insane money grab and influence grab. Cause 
Of course, UEFA will probably be down to do it because Saudi Arabia is probably going to pay them billions of dollars to have a berth into that competition. I, I, I bet you if the teams that wanted to create the Super League, if they had promised to give a piece of the pie to FIFA, that shit would have went through without any opposition. Yeah, I agree. Have, speaking of Super League, have you guys seen the cartoon on Amazon Prime called Super Strikers? I have not. Okay, we're going to have to do a watch and a pod on this. It's this, mm. it's called Super Strikers, and it's like an anime-style soccer show. My son watches it a lot, and I naturally will sit there and watch it with him. But like their league is called the Super League, and it's like super rich teams, and they like travel around the world playing. I think the main team, they almost resemble like a Man U, but I think they're technically from like South Africa. But they play teams from like Spain and all around the world, and they go travel. And like it's a cartoon, so a lot of the premise of the show is like, the owners or managers on the other team are like evil and it's like all this different stuff but like the amount of actual like corruption and evil stuff that happens with this and it's called the super league it's fascinating so do you think this is just uh like introduction to fifa for kids it's wild like it's a pretty good show and it's also like super there's a lot of stereotypes and it's i don't know it's probably not like the best show for kids to watch it's just like stereotypes people and they like have players from different countries and they like fit the mold of what you would think like the Jamaican player looks like I, it, it's interesting, but it's just like, it's just, it fits too perfectly with the super league and corruption of soccer around the world and all the money that goes into it. Like they're flying on private jets everywhere and their training centers are like the most technically advanced things you've ever seen. It's hilarious. I, I understand say, and appreciate the cultural sensitivity, but also you can, you may have circled back around to the side you were running away from. Yeah. I'm probably oversensitive. Anyways. Just claim your, uh, oh, wait. your Latino. My, uh, my Argentinian, Armenian, English, Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about who's going to get punished and like what's actually going to come from it. And hey, are these teams going to get point deductions? Are they going to get banned from the league? And it brings up like what's happening with Barcelona right now. There is a real threat that they're going to be banned from the Champions League and have stuff happen to them in their own um, domestic league and everything there. And it all stems to bribing referees when you're like, what's the big deal about like bribing referees and having referees as a consultants and getting insider information. And a lot of that is because of the power that the referees wield on the game. Like besides like the play, I, I'd argue that like they can have a, bit of, a bigger, bigger influence on the outcomes of the match and like a couple points here and there, and you're either in the champions league or you're not. And that's millions and millions of dollars. And what they're doing right now, they're being alleged to have paid a former like referee chief, I think his name is Jose Maria Enriquez Negrera. But basically they're being charged with paying him to give them information, like inside information, detailed analysis on referees, like all their behavioral patterns, like ways that they can have, like ways that they can take advantage of what's happening on the pitch, but also like having influence over decisions that referees are making on their games. I think they said that between 2001 and 2018, just through different intermediaries and different companies, they paid him seven and like seven and a half million euros, which is like almost eight million dollars, like on numerous occasions for consulting work. And it's just interesting because I don't know if anything's going to come with it. And it's they probably thought it was, hey, this is a way that, hey, we're just hiring this consultant who can tell us about referees so we can use that to our advantage on the pitch. But it, first of all, they're probably funneling money in ways that shouldn't be funneled. Second of all, they're probably getting information and having influence in ways that they shouldn't have it. And it'll be interesting to see if they actually get punished from it. And one of the interesting things too, is like the big time, like a big portion of that time period where this is happening is when Pep Guardiola was there, who's obviously now the manager of, of Man City. And 
because he was making a lot a big name for himself and doing a lot over there, even though he never won a Champions League there. But even he came out and they, they asked him about it this week and he was like, oh, we'll wait and see. This is what happened to us at City. Everyone accused us of having done something wrong. We'll let justice continue its process. And he's like, they tried to come at me for years and nothing happened, so I'm not worried. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. But it opens up a whole other topic about like referees and how big of an influence that has over the game and how um, fragile that part of the game can be. For sure. And it could be even more than just like the club, like the clubs involved in getting the referee in their back pocket. That could also go into that story actually really reminds me of the NBA speaking from an American perspective. What year was that uh, all that drama happened? The Tim Donahue 2007, I believe is when it all came to light. So in 2007, Tim Donahue, obviously there was like a big scathing New York post report that was, so Tim Donahue used to be a referee in the NBA and this big report came out, the New York Post, I think, was the one who originally reported it, um, but it ended up all over the place, obviously. But came came a report that he bet on games, he controlled point spread, he was passing information on games to, to people, he committed wire fraud. Like, this huge thing happened, and there was a, like, Congress got involved, and there was arrest made. He's, he went to jail. Like, it, it, it involved a lot of people, and it was this really big, it was just this really big deal. But a lot of what people are saying was like, was he just the fall guy? Like he's the famous guy who had happened, but I'm sure there was like a whole network of these things happening a year after in like 2008, I'm going to read this quote. It says on June 10th, 2008, Donahue's attorney filed a court document alleging among other things that certain games, namely like 2002 Western conference finals between the Lakers and Kings have been fixed by two referees. The letter states that Donahue learned from referee a that hint that referees A and F wanted to extend the series to seven games. Tim knew referees A and F to be company men and always acting in the interest of the NBA. And that night it was the NBA's interest to add another game to the series. So Donahue took this fall. And then like later on, obviously when you're in trouble, you want to get everyone else in trouble too. So this came out. So what, who knows the validity to it, but it was like, he made it sound like it was just a, like a widespread issue. There's even in this last year, Eric Lewis was, he was a referee for 19 years. He was forced to retire because like fake inst or fake Twitter accounts came out of showing him like favoring the Celtics and defending himself to the Celtics. And all those stories came out. And then the next story was Eric Lewis, referee of 19 years, retires. And that was like <laughs> the end of it. So there's like a culture of it all, all around. I wrote something here about like our first episode is about hooliganism when we're talking about how we just don't have anything resembling hooliganism in America. But a lot of this like game fixing and re like influencing referees that does spill over and i think that does go a lot to it i accidentally had a typo in here too it says hoopliganism which fits <laughs> nicely with basketball and i think hoopliganism should be a thing uh, but i think that's something we that happens here too quite a bit i actually looked up some stuff on the donahue thing as well because i feel like for years people have known that uh the nba is corrupt but after he got out of prison he was interviewed again and and he claimed that uh, while he betted on his own games, he didn't do anything to influence the outcome of the game. ESPN had this independent analytics group run this run stats on the games that he officiated from the time he started working with that group that he was betting with until he finally was caught and sent to prison. And 77% of the games that he officiated, his decisions impacted the outcome of the game. The odds of that happening ran happening randomly is sixty one hundred and fifty five to one. For the uh, the stats and math nerds, that is a highly st statistically significant result. That like he was 
definitely fucking oh yeah influencing the games it's interesting too because i i follow the nba very closely it's probably my actually my favorite sport but um don't say it. it's okay it's bo- you're fired it's okay <laughs> please listen to my other cod podcast dead ball something i don't just get um no but it's interesting too because obviously like that's come out there's a lot of different stories about it but I think the NBA too, there's always this conversation with them about, are we entertainment or are we sport and where's the integrity of the game fall? And I don't know, like with a lot of the refereeing stuff, there's a lot of accountability they're trying to have. In 2015, they came out with, call it the last two minute report in every single NBA game. After the game, the NBA referees union along with the NBA releases the last two minute report. And it's basically every decision that was made in the last two minutes, there's, there's transparency into it of, oh, this was the wrong call. This was the right call. This is how we made this decision. And it's, it's just a thing that comes out now and nothing really comes from it, but like they do make some decisions based on it of like how, like who gets to ref in the playoffs and the finals and they get graded on it and stuff like that. So there is some sort of accountability they're trying to have there. Similar to a lot of the VAR audio that we were talking about off mic here about, hey, is the Premier League trying to have some transparency into the refereeing decisions by having full audio and all these things? I know other leagues do a lot more of that too. I think there's maybe a perception that they're trying to have some transparency into it, but I don't really know. Yeah, Premier League could really benefit from having some more transparency into that. I think there's two sides of the coin here, especially when it comes to refereeing. Obviously, you need to protect referees because they're going to get hate from everybody from both clubs during a match. There's no question. Calls will be made both ways. They'll get hate on social media. They'll get hate from the players. They'll get hate from the coaches. So yeah, they need some level of protection, but there also needs to be accountability for their calls. So if own it up, yeah, you have a lot of power here as a referee when you make these calls. So let's review that. Let's put you under a, a, a QBR and see the outcome of your decisions. The fact of the matter is with football in general it's going to continue it's going to continue to grow it's going to get trickier and trickier for the people who are finding loopholes and corrupting the system do i hope we can continue to find ways to mitigate some of the some of that corruption of course but as the sport just continues to grow especially here in america which is arguably the biggest market for any sports league or any any sports club they're going to they're going to keep finding ways to to make money with it and the interesting thing about like world soccer and world football is that it has such big influence and FIFA is so huge and just like the money's so big in it that even like the biggest stars in the game, even when they do call it out, like it doesn't really fix it. And like, we were talking about Konma ball in 2019, like Messi came out and criticized the decision and even used the C word. He said, corruption and the referees are preventing people from enjoying the football and they're ruining it a bit. And this came after Messi was sent off during um, an international match and he was suspended for three months and fined $50,000 and wasn't allowed to play on his international. And that's, that's pretty crazy that they have that kind of power to wield to suspend probably the best player in, in like the best player in the game. And the most, probably one, if not the most famous, one of the top two most famous athletes in the world. Yeah. As I was doing research for the, for this episode and looking into stuff, I was thinking like, oh man, with FIFA and Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, all this corruption and scandal is so common everywhere else, but doesn't really happen here. And then I just realized we just call it something different here. Instead of being called a money launderer, like you're called a politician or a lobbyist. <laughs> that is funny. It's That's true. Good. It's true. Yeah. And to bring it back and wrap this up a little bit too, Jensen, you started this with the whole 2015 officials getting arrested in Zurich in 2015. And I think there's this really funny quote from, from Diego Maradona, who's maybe the biggest figure in, in the history of the sport. During that time, they were running elections for the, the head of FIFA and Seth Blatter had been the 
he had, he was the incumbent and he was no doubt going to win again. And Maradona just came out and he was like, in the last few decades, football has changed and not for the better. Once it was a sport you could be proud of, a sport that united the world. But FIFA, its governing body, has turned into a playground for the corrupt. Most football fans can predict what I am about to say next. Under Set Blatter, FIFA has become a disgrace and a painful embarrassment to those of us who care about football deeply. Well said, Diego. Mic drop. Well, Diego. Yeah. Oh, man. Spoken from the man that would do coke until 6 a.m. on a Friday and then get up on Saturday and score a hat trick. Say what you want about Diego Maradona, but he believes in the game and the beautiful game. And I think that he holds that close to his heart as much as anything. So when he comes out and says something like, that's powerful. Yeah. I love that dichotomy of Maradona because he's, he's the man that, that, be, that believes in the integrity of, game, of the game and loves it so much. But he's also the man that scored the hand of God goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect, like, picture of the complexity of the human condition, I think. Yeah. And FIFA in general, as much as they try and as much as all the goodwill that they try to do about cleaning up their image and don't get me wrong, they do good. There's still just that pulse of darkness that they got deep inside. It's sad. I don't want to be pessimistic, but this is what it is. And here we are. And this is why we make a podcast about it. So boys, another pod. Good stuff. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Dead FC Pod. Again, don't forget to subscribe and follow us. You can find us on Instagram at Dead FC Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else Will can upload us to. We'll see you next time.